Welcome back to the Hoops Temple podcast. Y'all know me, Nathan Schwartz, and joining me from New Zealand, Dylan Williamson. Hello, Nate. It's um got to be a glorious day for you, as it is for most NBA fans, because the Celtics lost again. <laughs> the Lakers fan of me is still still weeping from uh, their 3-0 deficit, but instead of getting the battle for 18, we're getting Nuggets heat. I don't know if they have any flashy, fancy name to them. We're getting Pat Riley versus Stoner Central. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we market the hell out of this. We're getting, we're getting underrated, undervalued teams that are, are going to go against each other. Do they hate, would they have like the highest like volume of championships as in like amount of championships divided by years in existence, whereas the Nuggets have zero championships and, and zero finals appearances? Hmm. Let's see, because Miami only started in 89, so three rings divided by 89. I don't know. San Antonio might <laughs> still have them beat. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're probably right. I, no, what, what are we talking about here? The Lakers and the Celtics both have 17. I think even with their 75-year history. <laughs> 17 divided by a lot of years. And also, once you like give the Clippers the credit for all of their championships... That's a lot fewer for the Celtics. All right, 76 seasons. So we're looking at uh, the Lakers or the Celtics win championship basically 20% of the time. Okay. <laughs> Man, that's insane when you put it like that. Yeah, it's it's 22% of the time. Whereas the Heat started in 99. Sorry, 89. You've got a better chance of the Celtics winning a championship in a given year than LeBron making a three-pointer in the in the conference finals. Oh my god! <laughs> so we're jumping on like ten minutes after what was an absolute shellacking, like uh, of the Boston Celtics. Like they cleared their bench to start the fourth. They weren't even going to go for it in the fourth. Which personally, I think that's an embarrassment. I think you have to at least try. You know, may- maybe you hit a couple of threes. Like you're you're going down three zero. No team has ever come back from being down three zero. What on earth are you doing? Hey, everyone um everyone criticizes Joe Mazzola for his lack of adjustments. Well, playing Sam Hauser, um, you know, the entire fourth quarter to try to get more three pointers up was the only way that they were gonna come back for that. <laughs> it's bad. You know how like ESPN does their game leaders and they're like highlight one player from each team and just you know, that's it's like one of the graphics whenever you go into their game cast. The game leader for the Celtics for this game was Jason Tatum's fourteen points. On six for 18 shooting. Yikes. Their top performer, if you look at it in the scoreboard, is Marcus Smart with eight points, nine rebounds, and eight assists, which, you know, overall, not. That's, that's not a good a, Marcus Smart game. That's what you want from Marcus Smart. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 fine. Uh, but, you know, to, to have that be kind of the end of your season, barring the miraculous four straight games this is the end of boston season should brad stevens have stepped down and uh taken over the coaching reins <laughs> you've pulled reverse pat riley i mean like i'm sure that would have been disastrous because like as much as like he's involved in the team construction and and has coached this more or less the same team before there's just so much like day-to-day stuff involved in coaching. So like, it, I highly doubt that it would have gone any better. It probably would have gone worse, but that would be like the most boss move. One of the most boss moves in NBA history to be like, all right, GM steps down, <laughs> takes over, fires the coach. I'm coaching this series. And, and if they had have come back from that, like that's just the all-time great move. 
It would have been. But uh, now we're just left wondering what comes next for Boston. They're uh, basically locked into the same team. Grant Williams is kind of the only notable free agent. I mean, even Danilo Gallinari, he's got a player option for 6.8 mil. He's probably opting into that. Uh, Muscala has a team option. Peyton Pritchard has a team option. You probably pick up Peyton's. You probably don't pick up Mike's. But like, what do they do? Do they offer Jalen Brown the max extension? Do they not, want to trade not, him? What? Not just the max, the super, the super max. max. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> Isn't it for a guy that's the second best player on a team that is about to get swept out of the conference finals? Man, I like Jalen Brown. And actually, Jalen Brown, he starts off every game strong, and I feel like he disappears later in each game. Yeah, but he, he had eight of their first 16 points to start out this game. Yeah, he had, he had like a lot of success going at um going at Gabe Vincent early yeah. on. Gabe Vincent's a good defender, but every time Jalen Brown shot over Gabe Vincent, it was perfect. I don't love the idea of we're going to lock in him and Tatum and kind of the rest of this core. I mean, Horford actually has a really nice contract. Next year, it drops from 26 mil down to 10 mil. Like, that's a huge drop. That's great cost savings. Uh, but you're locked into Smart at 18, White at 18, uh, Robert Williams good friendly deal malcolm brogdon 22.5 for the next two years like where do you move some of these pieces to try to get better yeah i mean the other hard part is not only like how do you do it but like what are you even doing to get better like what can you even do to fix this you know disaster that has occurred like it's not like the entire season was a disappointment and they just they just didn't have the right pieces and the roster was imperfect. Like it's, it's a really good roster. They were mm-hmm. the best defense in the in the entire league for, you know, most of the season. And now this Miami team who isn't some, you know, awesome offensive team, like it's not like Jimmy's just going for fifty every game. Like they just couldn't get any freaking stops. Damn. I wonder how do you, how do you feel about DeAndre Ayton? For the Celtics? I kind of just feel like he needs a new place to be. I mean, Rob Williams, are, it's already better than him. Is he? Yeah. Is he? <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. What do you mean, come on? Rob Williams DeAndre played 13 is- <laughs> minutes tonight. Rob Williams has been unable to play for half of the season and series. Like, is he really better? You can't let this one series define him. And also the counterfactual of, would DeAndre Aiden have played more than 12 minutes? Like, God, no. <sighs> It's probably fair. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to think because, like, you can't go sign anyone. Yeah. You your trade assets at this point are: can we move one of Marcus Smart, Derek White, or uh, Malcolm Brogdon for like a competent level player? And like, I don't think you could trade them for another guard because I mean, no one's going to do a guard for guard trade, and you gain value. So you got to trade them for a big, I and mean, maybe trade a big for a guard somewhere, but. These sort of difficult roster situations are very commonly resolved, especially after a disaster, a series like this, you know, with the easy solution of you just fire the coach and Missoula has been getting a lot of crap for, you know, a pretty oh, he's cool gone. performance. See, the thing is though, this is the first year of his contract and he just took them to the conference finals. Like, are they really going to fire him and pay him the rest of his contract, his brand new contract when... I mean, if you said before the season you lose in the conference finals, that's, you know, they're not saying, okay, fire this dude. And then also the fact that, like, he's got a whole contract. And they're probably also, I mean, maybe, they're maybe also paying um, Ime's contract still. I think it's just super rare that a coach is going to get fired in the first year of a deal. 
I'm trying to find details on his deal right now. Uh, I Googled it. And the first thing that popped up is from 2021. So before he became a head coach. And in 2021, he signed an eight-year, $62 million deal. I got to imagine his deal is something better than that. Like, if that's if that's what you're paying him for to be an assistant, holy cow. And it's also not just like he, um, you know, came off of being an assistant into a head coach. Like, he did have that interim position where he proved to be a good NBA coach as well, which would have given him even more leverage. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the easiest move. Yeah, it's easy. It's it's the easiest, and it's also not that likely. Is this going to be one of those situations where, despite the season being a massive disappointment and, you know, just embarrassing, that the, you know, Brad Stevens is just like, all right, let's run it back. Jalen Brown, Supermax. I, I don't think you can do it. I think you got to move Jalen Brown. I mean, just you got to move one of the two. You got to do something. It, it just, it's so, so bad to go out the way they did. I mean, this was a disappointing playoffs. They beat Atlanta, but they should have beaten them much easier. Like, like it, it, they're getting out coached and they're losing games that they shouldn't have lost. Uh, the 76ers took them to seven games. We all knew the 76ers didn't have it, but Boston was so bad. They let me believe in Philadelphia. They let me believe in Joel Embiid, in James Harden, and in Doc Rivers' ability to close out a series. And it's not like they, like the Sixers were just, you know, dominated throughout that series or like got destroyed in game seven. Like it literally took Embiid and Harden having both, you know, god awful games for the Celtics to sneak by. Yeah. All right. How about this? They moved Jalen Brown to Atlanta. He's from there, has strong connections. During the pandemic, he did a solo, like, 13-hour drive from Boston to Atlanta to lead protests. Trade him for some combination of DeJounte Murray, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, Sadiq Bey. You know, really flesh out that roster. Maybe A.J. Griffin if they're high on him. You know, like the poo-poo platter approach. Giving me a strange look. Yeah, I mean, it's just that thing of trading a star for good players you don't want to break up that dollar i, I don't know american currency but wh- whatever it is you know x number of fucking nickels or dimes or whatever it is doesn't <laughs> add up to a dollar <laughs> however the saying goes it can the idea with boston was that they had this great depth well robert williams wasn't really all that good which kind of left their only other big is al horford there was a time where they just didn't play a big in this game where they just went small and were like hey we're yeah, going to go Tatum, Brown, Grant Williams. Yeah, Grant Williams isn't coming back. Grant Williams completely fell out of the rotation. I mean, maybe you bring him back because you don't have other options, but if I'm Grant, I'm trying to find another team. Yeah, I mean, based on just his regular season, like he should be a guy getting double digits of millions. Money and playing time somewhere else, that's for yep. sure. All right, well, I'll keep I'll keep working the Jalen Brown trade sweepstakes. Maybe we'll do a... It's, it's so difficult. I think they just, I think they just um, run it all back. Maybe they they can try to like flesh out the coaching roster more because like they did have the big brain drain of mm-hmm. you know it's sort of like the thing when you know players get injured it's like not only does that you know that bench player become a starter but also that guy that was out of the rotation becomes a rotation player and so I wonder if there's like a yeah. similar thing in in coaching because they you know lost Will Hardy well, they lost Emay Joe Mazzola gets elevated and so yeah the coaching was bad this series but maybe it's you know coaching is a as a collective thing, you know, it falls on one guy, but he's got to have help as well. Got to have the full staff. They also lost Damon Stoudemire, which, you know, love Damon. All right. Well, 
let's let's talk a little Miami Heat because they won this year. I mean, they haven't won the series yet, but <laughs> holy cow, they're just ramming it down Boston's throat with this. They are running up the scores. They're hitting threes like crazy. They shot like 57% from three in this last game. Duncan Robinson finally making that contract look like a good deal. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that the it's really been the bench players and like the role players that have decided this for Miami. Like if before this series, if you were to say Jimmy Butler is going to go five of 13 and have 16 points, like you say, no way Miami is winning this. But, you know, you get double digits from Bam and Struess and Gabe Vincent goes freaking 11 or 14 and Caleb Martin, he, he had a really nice game on both ends, I thought. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, Duncan Robinson, who's been out of the rotation the entire year somehow just comes out and like Spo just found like the perfect foil for the for the Boston defense and they couldn't adjust to take away the shooters and you know it says so often that in the playoffs it's got to be with your star players because these role players don't make these kind of shots consistently but the quality of looks that they were getting for the quality of shooters that they are um yeah. in some cases the way Jimmy Butler was hunting Derek White like, how the hell did Derek White make an all-defensive team? Did, and none of us even had him, like, in consideration when we were talking about this. He, he was good all year. He's just he's just too small. He just, he's been getting hunted to death. They would bring over someone else to help. And then Jimmy finds someone. Jimmy's passing yeah. has been phenomenal this series. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the only time that Boston sort of have any, any success with him is when they started quite late going to, like, just a straight double team. And, like, that kind of caused some issues but yeah i mean anytime he got Derek white on him like Derek white is is you know <laughs> let's not make it sound like he didn't deserve to be an all defensive player like he is a, oh i'm gonna make it sound like he that. is a very good defensive player when he's defending players within his physical capability but at 190 pounds and six foot four going up against one of the guys who you know other than maybe like Kawhi is the best player in the league at using his strength and skill to get to a spot and dispatch a smaller guy I, I seem to remember DeJounte Murray and Trey Young having a fun day going up against him so you know let's let's not say that he can really guard people his size let's let's, let's just <laughs> Miami's having a field day with this this team and you know Bam and Jimmy like they present interesting matchup up things for uh for for kind of how defense is being played right now um because the way we're seeing like a lot of really good defenses being played is you have your roamer, you have your four or five that doesn't guard anyone good. You you stick him on someone who can't really play offense and then he roams. And, you know, that's what Boston likes to do with uh, Robert Williams. That's what the Lakers like to do with Anthony Davis. And to some degree, um, Denver will try to do that with Aaron Gordon, although they do more just straight up and down matchups. Um and when you have both Jimmy and Bam, you don't have that many good big defenders. And so, you know, if you put Horford on Bam and you put Tatum on Jimmy and try to let Robert Williams roam, well, he's supposed to guard Kevin Love. If Kevin Love's out there, he has to stick to Kevin Love. If Kevin Love's not out there, then they have some other shooter out there. Caleb Martin, Max Schroes, Gabe Vincent, whoever, you know, Duncan Robinson. It's it's kind of wreaking a little bit of havoc on the idea of let's have a defensive roamer which could pay dividends in the finals. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of a offensive failure as well because Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Kevin Love, like those are not guys who should be able to play big minutes in a conference finals. Like your 
you know, one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. You've got one of, you know, the offensive superstars of the NBA and Jason Tatum. Like, Kevin Love should not be able to see the floor. And yet he has. Do you know Kevin Love has a perfect playoff record against Eastern Conference opponents? As in, he's never lost a series in the East? Never lost a series in the East. Nice. Doesn't matter if he was playing or not. His, his, his team. Did he ever make the finals in the West? I mean, the playoffs in the West. No. no. <laughs> so no he, he never made the playoffs in the West. So he's actually got a perfect um, playoff record other than the finals. Yeah. He's never lost a series except for the finals. Yeah. Also, I think this series has, has really solidified the differences between Caleb Martin and Cody Martin. <laughs> because there was a time in Charlotte, which I just, I just could not tell you who was better or who wasn't. You know, 2021, they're both averaging like four or five points a game playing 15, 16 minutes. They're like nearly identical numbers. Yeah. And now Caleb is going to the finals and Cody played in seven games this season. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, the I feel like the difference in like fortitude and mental toughness between these teams is something that's getting talked about a lot. But like the confidence of these Miami role players, you know, for like Caleb Martin, who just said, let me bring up the box score. A guy like Caleb Martin, who should not be, you know, a big minutes playoff player. He shot 11 times in this game. That's more than anyone other than Jimmy Butler, which makes sense. And Gabe Vincent, which, you know, you want to talk about a whole lot of confidence. How about freaking Gabe Vincent just going out there and shooting 14 times as well? Like these, these dudes just believe in themselves. And also Jimmy Butler, I think, believes in them, which... Which is, you know, huge. When your star player is willing to um, defer to you, normally that's not something that is super efficient. But when all when you when your job is simple, it's make shots, and most of making shots is is mental, right? So much mm-hmm. of it is about is about confidence. So when there's a guy that's imbuing you with that kind of confidence, and all you've got to do is make the shot that you make, you know, hundreds of times every week in the gym, like that's why these this these games haven't been close. It's not all Jimmy Butler, 50 points. Do you know who's the highest drafted player on this team? Oh, I I love some trivia. Let's see. Is it a guy that played today? So highest drafted of the guys (laughs) that played today. Uh, Victor Oladipo, I believe, was the number four pick. I wasn't counting him. Mm -hmm. I can give you a nickname that won't help. (laughs) Oh, hang on. Is it Cody Zeller? It is Cody Zeller, a.k.a. The Big Handsome. The Big Handsome. Was he like the fourth overall pick or something? He was the fourth overall pick. Kevin Love was the fifth. Was it 2015? 2014? Uh, tw- 2013. 2013. Man, what a terrible draft. Yes. Yeah, him <laughs> and, and and Love are the only guys drafted in the top 10. Jimmy and Kyle, end of the, the first round. Vincent, Martin, uh, uh, Struess, Duncan Robinson, all undrafted. Like, this team is... is underrated underappreciated and they just work incredibly hard which i know is a lot of really generic praise but they're not good like like i'm not gonna sit here and tell you x's and o's what they did that was so fantastic i know there's some some wonderful numbers supporting the lowry uh zeller pick and roll all of their shooting has been off the charts the ball movement but really they're just they're just scrappy they're just fighting you know, Max Strews, uh, early in the game, tried to take a charge from Tatum. The refs let them both play on. But, like, these guys will just slide over and, and put their bodies on the line. Every single one of them will dive on the floor. And 
I've doubted Miami at every turn, uh, except for the Knicks. I knew that was going to be a quick series against the Knicks. <laughs> you know, going into what I assume will be the finals is them versus Denver at this point, because both teams are up 3-0. You know, I'm, I'm picking Denver in five, but I picked Boston in five. And, you know, I'm, I might get the five games right, but <laughs> that's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean... It's insane that this is a defensive loss for Boston. I mean, their offense is also terrible, but Miami is a team that wasn't uh, successful in the regular season because they struggled with offensive creation. And they still don't have, you know, elite offensive creators outside of Jimmy, who had fucking 16 points and six assists, and they still got destroyed. It's just insane that this is a defensive loss for the best defensive team in the in the NBA. It's because it's the Romers. You can't roam against Miami. Now, when they put three shooters out there and engage your best defensive players, you got to have everyone out there actually be able to ha- be able to defend their man. I looked into the history of the eight seeds upsetting the one seeds. This has happened five times previously since the NBA went to the 16 team format. In all five previous times, we've had just one team advance beyond the second round. In 2012, the 76ers went second round. They took it to game seven in 2011. Memphis Grizzlies made it to the second round, took it to seven games, lost to the Thunder. In 94, Denver took it to the second round and lost in seven. Good good history of these teams making it to seven games uh, in that second round. You know, three out of the five have did it. In 99, the Knicks swept the Hawks in the second round, beat the Pacers in, in the conference finals, and then uh, lost to the, the Spurs one to four. So... Really, really strong run. Uh, that is the 27 and 23 Knicks due to a lockout, you know, shortened 50 game season. It's like that whole year is kind of fluky. They got off to a rougher start. But like, this is the first full season team that's made it beyond the second round. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. And you, you know, we talk about this phenomenon that's sort of emerged in recent years where, you know, during that Warriors and LeBron run, there was a real feeling of inevitability that. It was going to be the Cavs or the Heat or whatever, or and it was going to be the Warriors. You know, it just seemed like an inevitability that's where it was going. And then we come came out of that period where there now isn't really a super dominant team in either conference. And, you know, we're getting more into this um, situation of if you give yourself a chance, if you're in it, just if you're there, you do have a chance to go on to, to be a championship team. You know, there's there's no great disparity anymore there's no dominant team if you're there you have a chance to win the championship and that's really caused a lot of teams to to really go for it if you look down down the standings you know in the west for example really one through seven were probably telling themselves that they wanted to make the finals and it's probably similar in the east and now we get the situation where the eight seed is going to the nba finals and you know has a chance to win the championship and you wonder whether that's going to even, you know, have an even greater effect on some of these teams that are just outside of it, but do have talented players. Um, whether they make the sort of marginal moves based on that idea of if we're there, we have a chance. Do you know the salaries of the Miami Heat? Uh, not off, off the top of my head, probably not. No. Max Struess and Gabe Vincent combined, yeah. making more or less than five million dollars this year. Are they both on like less than two million? They are both on less than $2 million. <laughs> they're both making 1.8, and they're both free agents this summer. These two guys are getting paid. Yeah. Uh, hopefully not insane amounts, but you know they easily should be jumping up into that 10 range, 10 to 15. 
Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be a tragic outcome if that's how, if that's sort of the effect of the season is Miami have this great run. Maybe they come up short in the, in the finals and then, you know, all of their great depth gets sort of picked apart by other teams offering them more money than they could, than they can provide. And that, and the NBA is sort of incentivized that in a way by, by punishing these teams for spending big. Well, it's, it's punished them from being able to spend big on other players. Uh, you know, you can't trade if you're that much over the cap, if you're that much over the luxury apron, but you can still re-sign your own guys or you can't combine them in trades for other people. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully Miami and we'll get to the Lakers in just a minute who also have quite a few upcoming notable free agents, but you're, you're kind of incentivized to keep your own guys because it gets a lot harder to acquire other teams' guys. You know, that, that's that's a good point. That is That is the one thing where they haven't tried to punish you for spending is that you can as long as you don't need to sign anyone else you know there's not a hole in your roster that you do need to fill you can you know sort of keep the same team together yeah well i feel like that's a good segue over to the west where lebron just looks mortal i mean i don't think there's any better way to say it but he's come up real small uh game two he had that kind of missed reverse first layup uh then another turnover got stripped hit by bruce brown and uh, missed another shot kind of all in the final two minutes of the game. Meanwhile, he's getting picked on on defense in game three. He, he had a rest for a little bit in the fourth quarter. Um, Lakers had a slim lead and they lost it while he's on the bench. And he comes back in and Denver continues their run. I, I don't think it looks good for LeBron. I'm not sure if LeBron's a top 15 player next season. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it shouldn't be surprising to say that about a guy that's getting real no. close to 40. <laughs> no, um, no, I mean... That- that's a, that's a testament to LeBron's greatness that like yeah, but I mean you're you're right. This this is the issue is that why aren't the Lakers able to win these games? Why are they down three zero? Because LeBron just isn't good enough to be the the best player on this team. You know we talked last week where I was sort of toying with the idea of picking the Lakers over Denver, and we mentioned the idea that they've been riding these role players who have been playing over their head, mm-hmm. and whether that's going to be something that's going to be able to continue, and it really hasn't. And they they need LeBron to be you know to be a demigod again, um, and he hasn't been able to do that offensively. He hasn't been able to create very good offense. He hasn't been able to close games. You know he hasn't been able to be that great shot maker. And then another thing that we talked about is how would they match up with Denver defensively, and that Anthony Davis is pretty much you know as good a, a matchup as you can come up with for Jokic. But and you know that that hasn't been totally untrue. But the issue then is that LeBron can't handle that help defense responsibility he hasn't been able to give the Lakers you know supplemental rim defense and so when the AD is on Jokic LeBron just hasn't been enough to defensively or offensively to to make the difference in this series like he would have been in past in past seasons there's a moment in game three where Denver just says hey we're gonna go two-man game it is Jokic as Murray and LeBron's off guarding he's guarding Bruce Brown and they do their two-man game and they get a switch. Davis ends up on Murray. So, of course, they feed Jokic, who's now backing down. I, I believe it was Schroeder on the possession and that I've got in mind. Uh, and LeBron steps down to the block, but he never gets across the lane to like actually help with the play. And Jokic sees him there and kicks it out to, uh, to Brown. And LeBron just cannot recover. LeBron, Brown gets the shot up and it doesn't go in, but it, it just... LeBron never gets full enough over to, to help on Jokic, and then he's too far away from his own man. 
And the number of times and possessions that happened to him were really just quite astounding the, the way they're able to pick on him. Davis, he's had an overall good series. Game two was kind of a letdown. Uh, game three, it was one of the quietest 28.18 rebound nights I've seen. But but he needs to be the best player in this series, and he's not doing that. Jokic is outplaying him. Murray is playing phenomenal. I'm not gonna not quite sure that I'd say Murray is outplaying him, but it's the Lakers stars haven't shown up. The role players have kind of reverted back to the mean. I'm not giving them any chance of coming back from 3-0. Never happened before. I don't see why it would happen now. Exactly. And and you've got sort of a confluence of things going on where, like you say, the role players were playing over their heads in previous series. Um you know, D'Angelo Russell is not that guy. Rui Hachimura has actually had a really nice season, but you know, if, if mm-hmm. he's the guy that you're counting on to be your third best player, like you're not, you're not in, in, you know, you're look, not looking good. They've got LeBron looking mortal, can't do it on either end, can't be the player that they need on either end. And then it comes back to Anthony Davis, who, when we did our pre-playoff player rankings, it's a lot of peas. Um, <laughs> one thing that you guys noted, and I eventually came to realize is. The impact that Anthony Davis is able to have is more than what I gave him credit for when I had him ranked, um, you know, I think in the lower end of the top 10 or, or thereabouts. Um, but the argument that I made with him is that he's a complementary player and he is able to be, you know, the most impactful player in the series as he was in the previous series. But he ultimately is a complementary guy. And when that main guy is not able to play to a certain level like davis can't play over that you know he can't make up for that he can't be the number one guy he really is you know the the greatest second option available but when you don't have a number one guy that's good enough to lead you on offense um or enough to make up for you know anthony davis not being able to defend everyone at once not being able to defend Jokic and everyone else um you know it sort of exposes a a flaw i guess in Davis as your best player. Mm-hmm. Well, and really, the Lakers have done a bad job switching out of uh, out of the pick and roll actions because one of the things they've been doing is they've been putting Rui on Jokic and LeBron on Murray at times or flip that, and and basically they try to switch and then Davis comes over and helps, but that still gets three guys involved in the action, and then when the ball moves. Yeah, Michael Porter Jr. set his career high in yeah. assists last game. He had six assists. <laughs> like it's it's not a great high, but like the Lakers are, are are rotating. Maybe they get to the first shooter, but they're not doing a good job getting to the next one. You know, you you say that's not a great number, but for Michael Porter Jr. to have six assists, that really shows that there were a lot of opportunities to move the ball and that the Lakers were giving up those sort of easy passing opportunities because Michael Porter Jr. will shoot literally any shot that he has the chance to take. Like this man will not freaking pass. And so for the fact for him to go out and get six assists, you know, that's like LeBron having 25 assists. Like this man was getting easy passing looks. Yeah, yeah. They were at least closing out to him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that's about the best you can say. Denver's defense also ha- has been really good. I mean, the Lakers had, gosh, one play in the, the end of the third, or no, in the fourth, game three, end of the fourth, earth where uh, Rui is coming down the lane and or he's got a fast break, uh, and Jeff Green hustles to get back. Will this one ring for Jeff Green, provided the Nuggets win, be more impactful for his legacy than Kevin Durant's two rings? 
Um, <laughs> I mean, probably not, but it is still like very impressive. Not only the fact that he's gonna like be, you know, he's gonna win a championship as part of this team if he if he does go on to do so, but like he freaking closed the game for them. Like he was super important for them in this past game. Mm-hmm. Where Aaron Gordon, who we talked about as being a, a difference maker for the Nuggets, you know, we we were saying we can't see a way that the Lakers can win this because of the impact that Aaron Gordon's going to have, that he's going to be the X factor and the difference maker, and that dude was riding the bench for freaking Jeff Green to, you know, go out there and have you know probably his greatest playoff moments. Uh, Green does provide more spacing, but I, there will be no Gordon slander here. Gordon has still had a really good series. He has, but the the Lakers figured out some things with not guarding him, and I mean the fact that you're able to get Jeff Green, you know, yeah, to to make those spot up corner threes, which he started doing in like the you know those weird Rockets teams that I loved, where everyone was you know it was just James Harden and a bunch of power forwards, and everyone was just shooting spot up corner threes. I'm really surprised we haven't seen more of Brown KCP. Murray, Jokic, and Porter Jr. I would have thought we'd see a little bit more of that lineup with Gordon's lack of offense. And Gordon is he's nine points, three boards, three assists. Like, like fair enough. Statistically, it's been a bad Gordon series. I'm going to say his impact out there does not show up in the stats. He's actually been really impactful defensively, which is what we expected. But I just haven't seen a ton of the the three guard lineups, which I, I thought we would have seen a lot more of. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they've particularly needed it you know it's not like there's buttons that malone isn't pushing that are making the difference um so maybe that's like something that he's got in his pocket that he is willing to try but just hasn't had the you know hasn't necessarily had the need for it and kcp was awesome in that last game as well like this this goes back it all goes back to kcp you know the true top clutch client the the lakers traded kcp for russell westbrook who turned into d'angelo russell and KCP, if, if you just swap KCP and D'Angelo Russell, this is a, a slightly different series. Well, you know what's funny is D'Angelo Russell was traded for Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma was traded for Russell Westbrook. And then Russell Westbrook was traded for D'Angelo Russell. So it, it came full circle. There's something very um satisfactory about those sorts of transactions. Yeah. It's like we could have saved ourselves a lot of hassle. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that we get the ring. I don't know if anything else happens this way, but... Uh, th- that kind of leads us into the Lakers offseason where I'm going to guess they're not picking up Malik Beasley's $16 million option, uh, at which point they're going to have like $90 million in committed money. And they have notable free agents in D'Angelo Russell, Lonnie Walker, Rui Hachimura, Dennis Schroeder, Austin Reeves, to some degree, Winnie and Gabriel. I don't, I don't want him back, but... Is Van- Vando off as well? No, Vando is uh, still under contract for another six mil, or sorry, four point six mil. Good shit. Oh, yeah, I guess he's still in his rookie contract. Is yeah, he? I don't know what if it's his rookie deal. I suppose I can bring that up. He's been he's been around the league for a minute. He was with Denver a few years back. So yeah, and I guess Mo Bamba's the other one for what UC is. Yeah. Oh, Mo Bamba is not a free agent either. Oh, really? He's he's still on his rookie contract as well. <sighs> he's on a a small extension. He's on a ah. ten point. Oh yeah, yeah. He got a in Orlando when they um, yeah. did the did the weird thing where we were all thinking that they'd have to make a choice between Wendell Carter and, and Mo Bamba and they're like what if we just brought back both like, and, oh, and okay. then eventually <laughs> trade them yeah <laughs> whatever I personally want the Lakers to kind of run it back with this group D'Lo let's let's see what type of number we can get him for um, Schroeder kind of also same deal 
not uh, not wanting to break the bank on either of those guys. But I I like this core around them, and I think if you gave them a full season together, you might get a little bit better performance. It's like there are a lot of other options other than them running it back. You know, like like you say, you try to bring back Reeves if possible, D'Angelo Russell if he's not going to be super expensive. Um, Dennis Schroeder was very important, I thought, for the Lakers this these playoffs so um he seems to be a guy that no one else in the league wants to deal with so hopefully that'll depress his value and um you know let him come back pretty cheap for the Lakers but yeah like they don't have a lot of options other than run it back and I mean then you're just hoping on improvement out of a 28 year old D'Angelo Russell or you know you want Austin Reeves to become a, a star player or you know maybe LeBron was just you know, like whenever LeBron plays badly, he's always blaming some sort of injury. So I think he's got like an ankle problem at the moment. Like maybe that's that's affecting him more than more than you know more than what we realize. Mm-hmm. And so and so yeah, maybe that's your hope going into the next season. He's talked about a foot injury quite a bit. That's so yeah. yeah I am I mean, I'm willing to believe that that's there. He'll probably go into the press conference in Game Four in a moon boot. Yes, that that <laughs> sounds like a very LeBron move. But the the core is good. The core is. You know, Lonnie Walker has come on late the last couple of games. If you could bring him back and really maybe even get him into a starting role, get Austin Reeves if they're, you know, if you're running a Reeves, Walker, Russell, or sorry, Reeves, Walker, LeBron, Davis, Rui team with Schroeder and Vanderbilt, like that's a solid seven man rotation that I think can yeah. do some stuff and has yeah. some lineup flexibility. And the other thing that you can do to get cheap performances is what do you think about, um, you know, I've seen some people saying that the Lakers need to bring in another big man so that AD can play the four. Absolutely. Center is such a cheap position as well. Like you can get a starting center for, you know, the taxpayer mid-level if the Lakers are going to have that available. I'm not sure how expensive they'd end up, whether they'd be over that second apron and not able to use that. Oh, why, why are you even spending the taxpayer mid-level? You know what Cody Zeller is making? Yeah. Zeller, Zeller's a mid-season signing for less than a mil. Yeah. Like you, you, you can get centers who can, you know, play 20 minutes a game and, and start for you for pretty cheap, like replacement level center. You could go to free agency right now and get a guy that can play. And so that, that's sort of a cheap way that you can um, build out a rotation if you've got a guy like Anthony Davis who has the versatility to play at the four. You, you can bring in a cheap five and you don't have to find a four where wings are a lot more expensive. Yeah, I just, I like the idea about having some lineup flexibility and maybe bringing Mo Bamba back. Yeah, he's been hurt, hurt for quite some time. I think game four, he's been cleared for action finally, but... Yep, that's going to be the difference maker. Sure, the Lakers get game four and then losing five to Denver. Denver Denver's just a brutal matchup for an old team, that high altitude, their fast-paced style. Like, I think if... You know, if Phoenix had been able to knock them out, I feel like the Lakers would have had a much better shot against Phoenix. But yeah, Phoenix also just isn't that good of a caliber team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's probably pretty true to say about most series that if um the inferior team had have gone through rather than the better team, that the you know opponent would have an easier job. All right. Well, then we got some finals talk. I just want to make sure before we go on to this segment, Nate, that this isn't your way of trying to um reverse jinx the Lakers into coming back from a three nothing deficit. I mean, there'd be, no, there'd be no better way than to preview an NBA Finals that isn't secure yet. It's 100% my way <laughs> of trying to reverse jinx this. All right, let's reverse jinx it. What are the Nuggets going to do when they definitely make the Finals? I think the Nuggets don't make any adjustments. I think the Nuggets say we have been a vastly superior team and we want to make you adjust to us first. Yeah, I mean, they're the, they're the favorites. They're going to have home seed. They've been playing the best. They've got the MVP. 
sorry, not the MVP. They've got the best player. Um, the should so, have been MVP. Yeah, the, the should have been MVP. And so, yeah, I, I think so. Um, is there anything from the way that the Heat have played against the Celtics that you think is not going to work against the Nuggets? Like we just talked about all the ways that the Heat have, you know, absolutely just dragged the freaking Celtics. Is there anything about the way that they're playing here that you think would not be successful against Denver, either on offense or on defense? No. Right? That's, I, that's I mean, I, what I, I was like, thinking. Like, you know, they attack Boston's help side defense, but Denver actually does a fairly decent job of playing you straight up. I mean, Jokic having to defend Bam might be a little bit rough, but it's not like Bam is going to really stretch Jokic out. Jokic can stay within 10 to 16 feet of the rim at all times. Like, you know, he'll probably give up Bam's free throw line jumper, which if Bam wants to hit 10 free throw line jumpers in a game, like, great, great. That's, that's fine. Um, Gordon against Jimmy. I really like that defensively. And then all of the, the heat's shooters that, that can rotate around weird, weird enough to say, MPJ is really good at defending shooters. He just has long arms that can be really problematic. And, you know, if, if you're just going to run around, KCP and Bruce Brown do a really good job switching off the of screens and picking up, up guys. Like, you know, you're, you're going to target Murray. Jimmy's going to try to put Murray into every pick and roll action and attack him, get him to the block, get him into the mid range. But I, th- I think Denver has enough help around him and can do some pre-switching to try to get him out of pick and roll actions and then provide a fair amount of rim support around him. Yeah. I mean, not just Murray. I think really anyone except Gordon, um, Jimmy is going to have a pretty good, you know, matchup against like KCP and Bruce Brown are both really good defenders, but they're only about 200 pounds. And so like you get into like this sort of Derek White thing where like this guy is a good defender, but he just doesn't have the size, you know, the physical strength to contend with Jimmy Butler. And like Aaron Gordon definitely does. Like Aaron Gordon is, you know, strong as fuck, but he, he's a big dude. I think Jimmy could actually have a pretty decent matchup with anyone except Gordon. And so if you can get into some screening actions to get Gordon away from away from Jimmy, um, using Bam as as the screener as well, like forcing Jokic to become involved in that. Like I think that there there are definitely ways that the Heat can attack the Nuggets. And a similar way but um you know it's it's strange to say because you, you wouldn't have said this a series ago but i also do think that denver the way that their help defense is being against the lakers is is better than what boston has been able to show which is ironic because boston was you know the best help defending team in the regular season but yeah i do think that ktp and bruce brown these guys are good at defending at the nail and really good at tracking shooters and like you're saying with michael porter like he's not the best or the quickest or the strongest and definitely not the smartest defender but he is six foot ten and reasonably athletic like this dude has mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of size to contend against against shooters and i just i want to keep going back to the same point that we had a while back about aaron gordon the guys he has had to defend yeah. this year yeah this playoffs i mean Kawhi gets hurt but still had to guard Kawhi for a bit had to guard both durant and then at other times booker and now LeBron and Davis, like, wh- what is Jimmy? The, you know, he's he's had to go up against the elites of that kind of bigger wing club. Um, and, and Jimmy, I should say right now, this season, is he's in the same range with all those guys. He's probably better than LeBron. The playoffs, he's definitely been better than LeBron. But, you know, it just, it's such a, 
such a cast of characters that he's already had to defend that I'm really not too worried about him having to guard her Jimmy and and even Jeff Green guarding Jimmy. Like I think mm. they've shown that they've got this. Yeah, Je- Jeff Green actually is a is a pretty good matchup as well because like essentially the the problem with Jimmy is that he's really strong and also like he'll get you with the pump fake and so like he's getting to his spot and then when he's stopping like you need to not be super jumpy mm-hmm. and and contest without fouling and contest without losing your i guess your your defensive positioning um and like jeff green has never been a great defender like he's always been you know one of those guys where like he's got these great physical tools he should be an elite defender but he's strong and he's not gonna bite on everything and those are the two most important things when guarding jimmy butler and so like so I think Jeff Green's going to be a Jimmy Butler stopper, no, but there are going to be minutes where you've got to have someone other than your best defender on him. And I think Jeff Green is, you know, as reasonable a, a guy as you can hope for from a, you know, sort of a deeper bench player. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm really excited for kind of what this might do for some guys' all-time rankings. I know this is something I usually do more with Aaron. So no, you're not always the biggest on the historical discussions, but prior to the season, we did a top 100 and Jokic came in 49th. Provided he wins the championship, and we'll do the same for Butler. But if if Jokic wins, I'm I'm just looking at my list right now, and at number twenty is Dirk. I don't think he's quite got, got Dirk because he doesn't have the longevity. Twenty one is Giannis. I feel like he's right there with Giannis. Twenty two is Kevin Garnett. I, I'll take him over Kevin Garnett. Uh, and then twenty three and twenty four are Bob Pettit and Dwayne Wade. I think he's got it over both of them. So he's if he can win a chip. We're talking about the jump from 49 to mid 20s all time, which I think is just I mean crazy. Yeah, when you when you go from what Jokic is now to a guy multiple MVPs and a championship, like you're saying like there's only like 25 of those guys that have ever, you know, gotten to that le- that level of of play, and it really is that sort of Dwayne Wade, Giannis, Kevin Garnett sort of, you know, category. Mhm. Aaron has this great thing where he says, all right, the top 10, you need to have five combined championships and MVPs, and you have to have at least one of each. So none of this John Havlicek sneaking in there with his whole mass of rings. You got to have both an MVP and a ring. And I think that's that's kind of what the top 20 is starting to become is three combined yeah. you know, MVPs or rings. And yeah, it doesn't hold true for everyone. You're going to have guys like Oscar or Jerry West who don't have you know either West has a ring, but I guess they sorry, they both have rings. But like, you know, you start gonna have rings and MVPs and that that is gonna be the full top twenty-five before too long. And so that's that's where I think Jokic could jump up to. Uh for Jimmy Butler, we've we kind of thought it was like a bit of a hot take. Um we had about seventy-nine before the season, and although he didn't have a great regular season, kind of a, a below average Jimmy Butler performance, you know, we've got Paul Pierce hanging out at fifty seven on our all time rankings. If Butler gets a ring, I'm really comfortable having him in that Paul Pierce range. Yeah, I mean, frankly, if he gets a ring, I'm I'm comfortable even moving up him up into the 50s range. So there's some elite number twos in there, um, but not not real number ones. If he doesn't get a ring, you know, Damian Lillard, 61. Would you rather have Lillard's career? Or would you rather have uh, Butler's career if he makes the just makes the finals? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, finals. Uh- Start off strong with that absolute. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking championship. I was like, oh, no doubt if it's championship. I mean, probably fairly similar if it's just a conference final. Oh, just the finals, rather. Um, what's Jimmy's highest All-NBA team finish? I believe just the second team. Um, I can double check, make sure he didn't get a first, first team in there. But just 
the four words that he's had to go up against have been kind of insane. It's been a, a legendary run for four words. Yeah, this year is his highest with the second team. Got this four year other third highest. teams. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the reason that I care about these awards is it kind of, you know, gives you... And the reason that I take them seriously is that, you know, it's hard to remember every single thing from every single series, especially going, you know, the further you go back. And so I really mm-hmm. do put value into, you know, all NBA selections. And if the best that he did was an all NBA second team when the five fours that are better than him weren't eligible because they didn't play that much, I'm not that that comfortable putting them in, you know, top 50 sort of range. I always say you, you got to kind of look at the other guys, though. Last time he was all NBA forward, he is behind Jokic. Well, this is a bad year. I grabbed 2021 and he's behind Jokic, Kawhi, LeBron, and Julius Randle. Kind of want you to beat out Julius Randle. See, 2020, he he is. Like, did did Paul Pierce ever have an all NBA first team? I don't believe so. No, Pierce's best was an all NBA second team uh, in 2009. Three other third team finishes. Making first teams are is hard. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think I was underestimating how difficult it is because you also get into these things where like it's like the same guys just like dominating mm-hmm. for you know like a, a decade at a time sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Where like you you happen to play when LeBron and Kevin Durant are, are playing, like you're just not gonna get that many um <laughs> you know all NBA first team selections. Yeah, because you've like, got two the, sort of top twenty all time players at your position. The, there's a time where the guards are, you know, Curry and Chris Paul and then James Harden and Damian Lillard. And it's like if you snuck in into the second team, that's a great time. Or like there's there's a little bit of overlap where it's Magic, Jordan and Gary Payton or John Stockton. And you're like, cool. How are, how are we supposed to make this? Or uh, there, there's one of my favorite times where the centers are Hakeem, David Robinson, Shaq and Patrick Ewing. And Ewing is fourth place in MVP voting and doesn't make an all-NBA team. Yeah. It's like, it's like the inverse of the DeAndre Jordan year. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, it, it's karmic payback for that of like, we had this just amazing run and now we're going to have a year where Jordan makes first team and where Andre Drummond makes an all-NBA team. And that forever fucks with my matrix. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what does this do for DeAndre Jordan's um, historical rankings? If he's an All NBA first team, All NBA defensive first team, and an NBA champion? Um, because they did not occur in the same seasons uh, or in relatively short fashions, and because it looks at what Jordan actually did this year, <laughs> yeah, it will okay. not do much. Fantastic. Will... The the matrix is foolproof. It can't it can't be um so easily corrupted. I mean, it, it could. Be corrupted a bit, but th- yeah. there are some things in place to like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it'll move Jordan from being guy like four hundred and sixty-two to guy like four hundred and fifty-seven. Yeah. So a very minor adjustment for him getting this ring. Yeah, perfect. Now, before we just go completely off the rails, but DeAndre Jordan. Wait, you you mean people don't want to hear about DeAndre Jordan's all-time historical ranking among NBA players? L- I mean, Aaron and I will get there. We are trying to build out top 500. I have, I've pretty much cleared my Tuesday, Wednesday right now. We're, we're gonna try to build that out from 100 to 200, uh, and you know, we're gonna have to probably re-rank Bam depending on how the finals go. But he's gonna be in that range. Uh, but can I get a, can I get a firm prediction for you for the Heat Nuggets finals matchup? Should it happen? 
Nuggets in seven. Nuggets in seven? You think this is going to be seven? I thought that the Celtics were the best team and still remaining in the playoffs and the Heat are about to sweep them. That's that's totally fair. That is totally fair. Man, it feels weird. I, I picked the Bucks in six because I, I had so much faith that the Heat would beat them. Or not beat them, but would, would push them, would challenge them with a healthy yeah. Giannis. Yeah. Uh, and then the Knicks, I don't really even count that series because I was like, I was like, yeah, of course Miami's gonna gonna beat the Knicks. I think I did five, and that came true. Uh, and, and then I, I somehow just lost my confidence in them. I felt like Butler wasn't gonna be able to sustain this. And while he's had a bad game three, he was averaging thirty points before it. Um, I think I'm gonna go with Denver in five because close out on home court. It, it could be six, but I really feel a lot more confident in Denver for better or worse. I, I think. Denver and six is more likely than Heat and six by quite a bit. I, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope that the. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but yeah, I, I think it's. I would yeah. hope the one seed <laughs> has a better chance of winning than the eight seed. But man, Miami, Miami's just been good, and you know some of it's luck. Some of it is is the fact that hey, the Oladipo and hero injuries have pushed them off the court and have allowed Duncan Robinson to just flourish and I am I am 100% here for Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson looks like a cop and we all know about KCP's history of the legendary game of having to play with an ankle bracelet and so I think he's going to look at Duncan Robinson in his um police officer hairstyle and take it personally. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is he going <laughs> to just have PTSD flashbacks when he starts taking it personally or is he going to play better? He, he's not letting Duncan Robinson get anything. We'll see. Well, Dylan, where can the people find you? In the depths of winter. I always forget that's winter over there for you. Because <laughs> it's it's like full-on summer here. It's fucking cold, bro. Just bought a new chainsaw. I've been chainsawing up a tree. Been painting in the back deck. And, or putting a new stain on it. Been ripping off siding on my house. It's been, been house project central. Definitely went, It's definitely summer over here. Let me just um, gain your mockery as someone living in, in Michigan that me saying it's cold right now is um, 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, screw you. <laughs> you can find me here, uh, Hoops Temple, hoopstemple at gmail.com, Hoops Temple Pod on TikTok. Uh, and Aaron's not with us today, but you can find him possible shares on TikTok. Hit us up. Sixty? You're calling sixty cold? <laughs> it's a little chilly out, you know. <laughs>